0: friends, I think most of you uh, know that particular feeling
1: where you've so lost track of time, Uh, you're so snowed under with work in the afternoon, so big are the piles of washing or maybe the piles of marking or maybe the pile of emails that you've had that you've been dealing with stacking up all around you. On the good days and on the bad days, it's such a relief to have someone knock on your door near the end of the day and say, are you nearly ready to go? You've made it through another day. You've made it. You've been so busy, so stressed that that 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or whenever you finish your shift has come around, you didn't even realize what a relief that is. You remember that this is not your whole life, that you're going to see those kids again tomorrow, or maybe you're going to see those interns again tomorrow, or you're going to see those emails. They can all wait until tomorrow. Your gaze comes up from your desk. You begin to look ahead to your evening or uh, to your weekend. All those things hold so much promise. And that makes everything, that makes uh, all the endurance that you've done all day seem easier. I think that's just that feeling of relief is a little bit of what we're going to see here in our passage today. As The Apostle Paul, uh, really, I think we're just going to see him reaching out to, the, to this uh, church in, uh, of the Thessalonians and really just lift their chin, lift their gaze and point them to the risen Christ and the hope that they have in him as they look forward uh, to an eternity with him because of their faith in Christ alone. Turn with me uh, there to 2 Thessalonians. Uh, if you've got a Bible, if not, we've got some at the back. Uh, you're very welcome to use those. If you don't have a Bible, please just take that home with you. Let's uh, read. Uh, I'm going to read for Second Thessalonians, and I'm, we're just going to go through chapter 1 today. Let me read that for us. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy... Uh, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, as we uh, walk through uh, this chapter together, I think the main point for our time, what I want you to take away, and I think what the main point of this passage is for you is Christian in every area of your life, is by the grace of God and for the glory of God. Christian, every area of your life is by the grace of God and for the glory of God. The text really just divides in, into two. Uh, so we're going to look at the two points together. The first one of those for us as we look at chapter, uh, verses 1 to 4 is present perseverance present perseverance. So, this is the second letter to the Thessalonians, and it comes with the same gospel unity as uh, the one that came before from the Apostle Paul and these Christian brothers that are named, Silvanus and Timothy. So, coming uh, from these men uh, like this also suggests that, that this letter just closely followed the first one. So, we have the main author, Uh, That's the Apostle Paul. And then we read about the recipient there, this church of the Thessalonians. And then that opening greeting here is exactly the same as we saw in that first letter, just apart from one key word that is different. It's in amongst uh, this important grounding in the work work and grace of God. Uh, And there in the midst of just that dose of crucial Christology that Paul gives us, Uh, we have the word our, our, in God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that twice here at the opening of this letter. It's really crucial. But from the outset of this letter, we see Paul's pastoral care for the Thessalonians. Friends, it is clearly loving to write or speak to other believers, and to encourage them, to warn them, to challenge them, and remind them of all that God is doing in their life. That's what we're seeing here. This is a loving act from Paul. So with Paul using this word, our, he is saying to the Thessalonians that they are united, united to these brothers, the work of the apostles. So having been encouraged to keep the faith and follow God in the first letter, Paul now writes with confidence that these brothers and sisters are part of the same family of God. This was a warning in the first. Now he is certain that they share the same faith in God the Father and in the Lord of all, the King, the Messiah, and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's greeting, you may just have scanned over it if you read uh, this Chapter this week, but it packs so much both good doctrine, but also just encouragement for the church. There, they have been faithful, they are united to uh, these brothers. And then, what else does he remind them of
0: in verse 2? He says, Grace to you
1: and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're about to launch into what's been happening. But Paul begins with this just really simple and not empty reminder that from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the one who is God, they are, the Thessalonians are, the recipients of his good grace and peace. This is something only
0: he can give. Think what a a salve
1: this would have been uh, to those that were hurting we don't know everything that was going on in this church, but there clearly are people uh, that are in agony and distress in them themselves. And there are those that are struggling in their circumstances and in, clearly in persecution. Friends, I, do, I don't know much about your circumstances, but this reminder is the same for us here today. As we walk through this text, I want you to know that it's God who brings comfort and encouragement through his word. It is really no mistake uh, that you are here with us today. And as Emmanuel said at the beginning, we are so glad that you've joined this gathering of Rag Evangelical Church today. Pray that God's word is a great comfort and peace to you too. You may be hurting, uh, you may be in dismay this morning, but if you're a Christian, you can trust and know that everything, everything you're going through, every area of your life, nothing. Passes through, uh, doesn't pass, sorry, nothing happens that doesn't pass through the hand of God. He is sovereign in every circumstance. By His grace, uh, He knows and He sees and He cares for you in every season of your life. And He will give you all the grace that you need to persevere.
0: Everything He supplies.
1: He has created other people to bear. Uh, maybe more than you can. The other brothers and sisters that can carry less. That is totally fine. It's no better, no worse. I encourage you to stop looking around. That comparison of others is so unhelpful. God has created you and God is with you. You can take comfort in that, that He will supply all that you need. For the rest of uh, this first point, we're going to be looking at verses 3 and 4. Uh, look down there with me now if you've got the Word of God open. We see just a beautiful and glowing report of what has been happening in those, those months since uh, that first letter. I want to just uh, flip verse 3 for us as we look at it and see what Paul is saying. Really, Paul there highlights two things uh, that are going on in the body of believers there that cause him to praise God. I think these are two pretty special things, uh, things for us, even today that we should pray for, that we should ask God for, that we should pursue among us. These really just can be summarized uh, as their faith and their love, their faith and their love. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul prays for an increase in these specific things, encourages them there to pursue a love for one another, that they may abound in this, is the word that he uses. Speaking here uh, of their faith, that is their obedience to God, their trust of him, their active pursuit of him, we see the only New Testament use of this intense verb there. Their faith has not just been doing well, their faith has not just been coming along a little bit, Paul says it's been grown, it has
0: grown abundantly. Paul here is
1: highlighting the very active nature of their faith. They've not just received the gospel, that is the apostolic witness that Paul reminds them of in verse 10. They've not just received the gospel and kind of sat on it or turned it into a nice fridge magnet or a bookmark. They've understood the gospel. They've
0: received
1: the first letter, the teaching of the apostles, this gospel, and then they've acted. They've applied it to their lives. The crazy thing for us, friends, is that they are just doing exactly what you today as a Christian are called to do. There's nothing extraordinary here Clearly, had made use of all of the means of grace that Paul and the other apostles established both in the early church and for churches today. It is the regular gathering with other Christians. It is regularly sitting under the preached word of God. It is the celebration of baptism and the Lord's Supper as we did last week and as we'll do this week. It is regularly praying both in private and with other people, with other believers. It is uh, seeking uh, to honor God in every area of our lives, and it is regularly brushing off the dust from your Bible and opening it and studying it, again, in private, but also with other believers. This is why Paul will conclude the chapter the way he does in prayer, again, encouraging them to not stop. We never reach a certain point of faith. He's encouraging them, praying for them, earnestly calling them to, to keep pursuing the Lord, to continue growing, to not stop, but to carry on. And friends, it's the same for us. Elsewhere, Paul calls Timothy to be steadfast in these things, to be resolutes. We see that the Thessalonian church again just commended for how they have grown abundantly. What a joy would have been when this letter arrived from Corinth and it was read out to the church there. What an encouragement this would have been. May I ask you, friend? Can the same be said for you?
0: Are you growing in your faith? And if not why not? Are you growing in your faith? Perhaps you're not
1: here regularly. I know some of you have jobs. That makes it difficult to be here every week, of course. Totally understand that. But perhaps you only come here when you don't have any other plans. There are certainly those of us here who don't make this gathering
0: a priority.
1: Schedule uh, other things. Uh, During this time, we do other things uh, on a Sunday. Friends, this here, God has provided this church here, this gathering here for
0: your good. Maybe you arrive late every week.
1: Maybe you stroll in. At 11, p- 11 a.m., not 11 p.m., there'll be no one here. Maybe you just stroll in at 11 a.m. every week, and then you wonder why you're not connected. You wonder why you're not getting to know people. You wonder why you're, maybe you're not particularly enjoying the series in John, or you had no idea we were going through 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 today. You wonder all of these things because you're not prioritizing the means of grace that God has put before you. I know for others of us, perhaps you don't want to commit. Being part of a church, uh, attending regularly, people knowing and praying for my life, I mean, that just sounds a little bit too much. You'd rather be the, the last in and the first out. You don't want to talk about your faith. You don't want to talk about what's going
0: on in your life. You don't want to be, let's be honest,
1: you don't want to be accountable. The Bible is clear for the Christian that to be known at a church and to regularly put yourself under these means of grace that God has clearly provided and told you about and your friend messaged you about and reminded you
0: about. And we're here the same time every week. This
1: is all for your good. I also know that there are those of you here today that It took a lot for you to be here. Due to sickness, maybe sadness, maybe your situation. It was just a struggle to get out of the door. As Emmanuel said, as I said when I got up here, it is genuinely so encouraging that you are here. We are so glad that you're with us here this morning. We do. Pray. We have been praying. We prayed again this morning that the Lord would bless this time, that this is the best place that you can be here this morning. And it is no mistake that you're here with us. We're so glad you're here. Paul's desire for the Thessalonians here in this letter, our desire for you, God's desire for you this morning is to grow in your faith, to grow in your understanding and trust. The one who, the only one who brings comfort in the sadness. The one who knows your sickness. The one who is with you in your circumstances. And the only one who can bring you through those by his grace. Preach one of you here today. It is such an encouragement. And not only to me, because it'd be pretty awkward if it was just me and the interns here this morning. uh, But also to the person around you person sitting beside you or behind you. It is such an encouragement that you are here. We do pray that the Lord uses this to strengthen your faith, that in the weeks and months, as you join with us, as you study the word, as you sit under these means of grace, that you look back and you see how you have grown as a Christian. If you are a Christian, this should be an active desire for you, something that you are praying and asking God for something that you are praying and taking seriously yourself. Ask those that you meet with, ask those that know you. Ask yourself this question this week. Am I growing in my faith? What is God teaching me right now? What is God teaching you right now? That's a great question to ask someone at lunch today. Hey, have I been growing in my faith? Hey, what's what's the Lord been teaching you recently? It can be something small. It might be something great. Friend, are you growing or are you
0: standing still?
1: Perhaps you've just sat down and given up. And The Lord wants to lift your gaze uh, this morning to his glory. So as Paul moves on uh, in his encouragement to speak of their love, he says that that is for one another and how it is increasing. Friends, this is something that is such a joy to witness in any congregation. I also don't want you to miss that phrase. Look there with me—that uh, Paul deliberately uses. It is this love, and he says of every one of you. Quite spectacularly, I think it was clear to Paul that this is something that every person in the congregation of the Thessalonians was part of. Everyone, and if you've been in church for any time at all, you know that it can feel difficult at times. That to maybe think that you're making any impact at all or that you've been you have maybe anything to contribute to uh, a large congregation like this friends there are many ways that you can love others at the church i think we can be really tempted to think that this is uh, only uh, material or only has a financial value maybe you think i don't have much in my pockets or my wallet and so there's no way i can love people I can't buy them something. I think we totally miss the point here. I think Paul is deliberately vague for us to not highlight one thing or the other, but just to recognize uh, these two things, that every person was involved in some way, and that it was increasing across the congregation. And we know We've looked at 1 Thessalonians. We know they needed reminding of these things. We know they weren't doing this particularly well. And at the end of this chapter, as we've said already, we see that reminder to keep being obedient to God. Keep pursuing good works out of faith that come through his power and by his grace. You hear that drumbeat. This is something that just doesn't stop in the Christian life. Keep growing in your faith. Keep loving others. I think this just shows us that there are many ways to love one another and that it is something we can grow in. That's really encouraging for us. It's something we can grow in. It's something that can improve. As a church, this is something we're hopefully doing better than we were last year. But we're just not, you're never going to reach a final point where we completely hit the mark. There are always going to be other ways and new ways uh, to love people. But there are also some of those ways that just never change. It's ongoing, this love for one another. It is, and it should be increasing. Christian, friend, here this morning, you, each one of you is invited to be part of this. What are some ways that you're currently loving people in the congregation? What are some of the ways that you've recently been loved by people in this congregation? doesn't need to be jazzy or spectacular. It is the ordinary.
0: It is the, the everyday. One of the amazing ways we can love one another is by praying.
1: It doesn't cost anything. You can do it anywhere. You can do it silently or out loud. You can tell the person or you can keep it a secret. We can be praying for one another.
0: It's an amazing
1: thing that the Lord hears our prayers. Brother told me recently, he said, Doug, I pray for you and your family every Tuesday. I can't tell you how
0: encouraging that was.
1: Was that really the most encouraging thing I might have heard this year? What a simple thing. What a faithful friend. How loving the most loving thing that brother can do for me is to pray for me and pray for my family every week you might be struggling to think well i don't i don't particularly know how to pray or i don't even know how to what people's needs are a great way to learn how to pray a great way to hear and be encouraged by the prayers of others and to hear the needs of others is to come back to tonight's prayer service. It's there that the time is 5 p.m. It's next door in the chapel. Happens just once a month. It's one hour long. In many ways, it's the most intimate time of our months and our years together as a church. It's where we recently we've had births and deaths announced there and prayed for, where job worries, job concerns, job celebrations been announced and prayed for. Personal encouragements given,
0: and personal struggles shared you don't
1: have to be there I can't make you be there. My hope is that, as we grow in our faith, as we strive to love one another well, meetings like our Sunday evening prayer service we be full of us, eager to to carry one another's burdens easy uh, eager sorry to to hear and to pray for one another, eager to invite others into your mess.
0: Friends, I would encourage you to be there.
1: Something I think we don't tend to realize is that being vulnerable with others blesses both parties involved. The person sharing, but also the person hearing. When we invite others into our lives, we really, we break down that barrier that's between us. That stops others from knowing how to pray for us, how to care for us. But also stops them from knowing that we're not perfect. I know that this might be terrifying to some of you. That someone in this room
0: might not think that you're perfect.
1: You probably know by now that I'm not perfect. My wife knows it. My kids know it. Leroy, one of our church members, he lives with us. He definitely knows it. But when we invite others into our lives, friends, it's such an encouragement to them. I don't want you to be wallowing in your sin and your pain. Also, it's an encouragement to know that you're not alone in it. That sin you struggle with, that actually there are those that have gone before you that struggle with the same thing. And the Lord has brought them through it. But you wouldn't know that unless you share with someone. You wouldn't l- know that unless you share what's going on in your life. When we invite someone into our lives, it also says to that person that I really love you. And I really trust you enough to know the junk that's going on in my life. I trust you enough. I love you enough to, for you to know and understand that I'm not perfect. And I know that's hard. I know it's challenging. For many of us, it can feel unnatural, but it invites others to love and pray for you in a deep way. It also, especially, gives us many, many opportunities to praise God and remind others of what He has done in your life. Such a beautiful thing to sit with another believer, to tell them your testimony, but also to tell them the ways the Lord is uh, providing for you, the ways the Lord is Uh, guiding you and shaping you and disciplining you, even right now, what he's walking you through. Let our love for one another be increasing. Through this, as we uh, flipped verse three, we see that these encouragements to the Thessalonians, they are what Paul is referencing at the beginning when he says that the apostles should be giving thanks to God. This faith and this love all drive Paul to praise and thank God as they are all from him. There is no other option in Paul's mind there. That's why he uses the word ought there, and the thought is finished with the phrase, as is right. From the very beginning, we see this reminder for the Christians that all of this, everything in your life, is by the grace of God, meaning it's his choice both to allow. And then to empower these things that are being mentioned. This faith is growing with God's help. This congregation, the Thessalonians, is loving with God's help. As they depend fully on him. And there is an increase in their faith. And then what flows from that faith is love for one another. I was hiking up a mountain. A few years ago, it was the highest peak in England and Wales. It's not particularly high. that just sounds impressive. And it was really misty. Whole way up, there were just large chunks of time where my head was down. there was nothing to see in front of us. We really could have been anywhere in the world. And we were just putting one foot in front of the other.
0: For the Thessalonians, I think we get
1: a glimpse in these verses that stuff was clearly so bad in that city. Their life was so hard. They really had, the same as me, they really had no idea how far they'd climbed up that mountain. They clearly had no idea of how much they'd grown. They had just been in all of their pain and suffering and affliction, just being head down, putting one foot in front of the other. Then Paul's letter arrives. It's like that first time, I think for me, when that that mist cleared and I all of a sudden saw how close we were to the peak.
0: Paul here is saying, Guys, I know things are hard. You are really growing look how far you guys have come.
1: Be encouraged. He's so pastoral here. This perseverance to the final day that he's talking about, it really is the true test of Christian faith. The Thessalonians were struggling with persecutions and afflictions. I don't think these are separate things. They're both sides of the same coin here for Paul. It was really such a challenge to be a Christian in Thessalonica, that whether that's with their family, with their neighbors, with their, maybe their boss or even their non-Christian spouse, many felt like they were just clinging on.
0: They felt at their lowest point, perhaps.
1: And I recognize that this might be some of you here this morning. Paul sees what they, in their weakness and their hurt, cannot see that they have kept the faith that they are growing day by day and week by week and these things are such an encouragement to the apostles so encouraged are they that they've been going around to these other churches and telling them and saying guys you have to hear what the guys in, Thess- in Thessalonica have been doing it's so encouraging Their faith, their love for one another, their obedience. They're willing to listen. We wrote to them. We visited them. They heard those things. And they're pursuing the Lord. They're clinging to him. And stuff is so
0: rough in that city. Yet look how they've grown. Tucked away in that city. Maybe in a room or a hired space somewhere. The Thessalonian
1: church gathering. Similar to this, sitting together, weary from their week, and then this letter arrives. What an encouragement it would have been for them to be reminded, pointed out and highlighted all that the Lord has been doing in their lives, Now how reports have been shared among other believers in their region for their endurance and faith. Friends, make no mistake. Here, it is God himself that is doing this work, both in the Thessalonians and in your life. All of it by his grace, that he has ordained every scenario that you are in. All of it for your good, and that he will supply, he will supply all that you need. Working all of those things for your good, and ultimately for his glory. We turn to our second point. Look at verses 5 to 12. The second point is coming comfort. Coming comfort. So having just encouraged the Thessalonians in the midst of their persecution and reminding them of all the Lord has done in the past and the present. Uh, Paul then turns in verse 5 and begins to, to encourage them with what is to come. This all looks to the coming judgment of God. This
0: is the return of Christ. Look at verse 5.
1: Although it's a hard sentence to understand, do you think Paul's gaze uh, is shifting a little bit at this point? I think the this at the beginning of verse 5 relates to what Paul is about to say. The this at the beginning of verse 5, relates to what Paul is about to say. I think we have the linking words there of righteous then in verse 5 and the just in verse 6. I think Paul's those two things together. And so Paul begins in verse 5 by slowly just lifting before them, presenting for them, uh, a reminder about how God will deal with those that are persecuting them. And 6 7, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 are the this that Paul is talking about. There's clearly also, uh, we can read between the lines, there's clearly also a worry among the church. We can be tempted to think the same today. That if I'm struggling, or if something is particularly hard, then uh, God is punishing me, or God has abandoned me in some way. Paul again here just Wanting to be super pastoral and encouraging uh, to these believers. The Bible is clear that God has chosen a people for himself. And Christ promised that his followers would experience suffering, they would experience persecution
0: and tribulation in this world. But in
1: John 16, he encourages the believer, he says, But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart, Christian, this morning. Christ's victory is sure. This is why uh, the persecution of the Thessalonians is also an evidence of the righteous judgment of God. These believers are already suffering for, whilst simultaneously being made worthy for, the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God will be fully consummated at Christ's return. Jesus rules and he reigns presently through his people, that is right now. Uh, But we already know, we have already experienced the fact. And so many of us here know that if not all of us know that this does not mean that we as Christians will be free from suffering and pain in this life. So many of you know this firsthand, even this year. You may be experiencing this pain and this suffering and this persecution right now, this week. Christian, take heart that Christ's victory is sure and that your place in glory with him is secure. The Thessalonians are here held up as a wonderful example. Paul says to be considered worthy of the kingdom. That means to persevere as a Christian. It is to, to grow in your faith, to not stand still. It is to increase in your love for believers, as we've heard. Perhaps you've arrived this morning at rock bottom, just ready to throw in the towel. Take courage, friend. Paul here is really just, as I said, reaching out to each one of us this morning, holding the bottom of your chin and just wanting to lift your gaze to take it away from your sin and your suffering and to turn your gaze, turning your chin, to look at the cross of Christ. It is there, it is there that we see the conquering Christ. Friends, it is only, no matter what is going on in your life right now, it is only in Christ that our hope is found. Nothing else. Not in your job,
0: not in a relationship, not in your bank balance. Friends, look
1: to Christ. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Be guaranteed here. We know he will return. With the judgment of God that is coming, there is a a hope held out for us believers. Hope of an end to the suffering and a hope of his glory being fully revealed. What Paul is about to describe for us is something I think we understand. Verse 6 there, for simply saying that if there is a transgression, then there is a
0: punishment. He's going to repay affliction
1: those who afflict you. This is the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We recognize this even in our own legal system. I did jury service a few years ago, and I was chosen as the foreman, which in the UK means I was the, uh, the one that had to stand up and deliver uh, the verdict of the jury. And I think in that moment, the, the words and the weight of those words was, was so clear. That justice
0: uh, was given. And this was
1: a wild week of my life where I had to listen to and watch a lot of CCTV footage of two ladies fighting in a nightclub. It was a, a strange week. As I watched who pulled whose hair or who slapped who and had to decide, because both ladies said the other one was wrong and the other one was right, we had to decide who was at fault. And as I gave the verdict... As I declared one
0: lady to be guilty, and she clearly was. I can legally talk about it now. I couldn't a couple of years ago.
1: How so serious was the crime? As I declared one lady to be guilty, in that moment, I was also saying to the other lady, You are completely free. Both of those things came with the same word. Those same words of judgment had two separate outcomes. And far more seriously, far more seriously, it's the same here. And we see the judgment given of the Lord of the universe.
0: These words given for the believer. What do these words bring? They bring
1: comfort. Relief is the word that Paul uses there. Again, this encouragement for the Christian carries on throughout this whole letter. Relief to you. And Paul includes the phrase, as well as to us, as well as to the apostles. Paul is linking the the suffering of the Thessalonians again with uh, the apostles by using this word us. Our, the beginning, us here. The apostles, they're the same as you. We've experienced the same thing. And our relief will come the same way. There is no skipping the line of glory simply because you're an apostle. The apostles also knew afflictions and will find relief on the day of Christ's return in exactly the same way. Friends, what is this judgment and how will it come? How
0: about you? Do you need to be worried about that day? Well, I think it depends.
1: The end of 7, 8, 9, and 10, the verses there tell us. The judgment will begin with the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the risen Christ. Paul tells us he will leave heaven with the heavenly hosts. He will bring his judgment. 1 Thessalonians, we looked at the noise and the might and the glory that will be displayed in Christ's descent. So Paul does not give that again here, but make no mistake. Throughout this whole letter, the divinity of Jesus Christ is clear. He is Lord. He is leaving heaven. He is bringing judgment. The judgment of God is the judgment of Jesus. The day of the Lord is the day of Jesus Christ's return. Verses 7 and 8 here, though, show us how the glory of God, his righteous judgment, both is both relief for his people and vengeance on those that through their rejection of God have chosen to afflict the saints friends the the righteous judgment of god is good news for the christian and is a terrifying truth for those who do not know and who openly disobey god paul is drawing for us a crystal clear line
0: make no mistake between those who obey god and those who reject him.
1: This line, clearly marked out for us, should terrify those on the wrong side. There is no one neutral before God. Throughout the Old and the New Testaments, the judgment of God comes in flaming fire or blazing or burning. All speak of the fury and the destruction that comes to those that God pours out his just wrath by his fire. Here we also see the inclusion of that word vengeance, and then we're given the reason for that vengeance. Vengeance just means the exact punishment that is given for a specific injury or wrong. The judgment of God here is shown to be precise but shown to be careful, not just indiscriminate. Judgment and the God of the Bible is the same every day. God is shown to not be capricious or just given to just randomly changing his mind on a particular day. The word of God is clear. The word of God is true for us today. Friends, the Good news of Jesus Christ is good news for those that hear it, but is also uh, the law by which those that reject it are held accountable for. For the Thessalonians, this is a comfort to know God's ways are just and his punishments are righteous. We read that they will be glorified in him and will marvel at him, verse 10 says. If we rightly uh, understand the gospel, That is the testimony of the apostles, as Paul says, that every man is born a sinner and has rejected God and has uh, done his own thing and made his own way in this world, seeking to reject God at every point. Yet God has made a way for man to be reconciled to himself by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus left heaven, as we just read lived a perfect life, and then died on the cross, taking the punishment that each of us deserve, and then he rose again on the third day, beating sin and death.
0: Friends, it's because God is
1: righteous that Jesus had to die, and then he had to rise again. Sin and death had to be beaten. There had to be a price for your sin. Jesus has paid that price. You cannot pay it. There's nothing you can do. For the Christian, you understand that with you, Jesus stood beneath the judgment and the wrath of God so that you didn't have to. You couldn't. As Paul continues, then this judgment of God is for a specific group of people. Two sides of the same coin are offered there. Verse 8 is simple. It's those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These two things just really emphasize each other. It's not enough to just learn about God or to hear the gospel. It is to know God and obey his gospel. There needs to be a submission to him. We, Of course, we must preach the gospel. But we know that not all will obey the gospel. Friend, if you reject Jesus as Lord and as God, and let's just be clear, this judgment falls on you. If you reject Jesus as Lord and as God, then this judgment falls on you. In verse 9, we see what this judgment leads to. We'll look at more of that this week, uh, sorry, this coming week, as we turn to chapter 2 next Sunday. But we read there, it says, a punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Here we read that the punishment that these people don't, uh, these people who don't obey, uh, the, the punishment that they receive will be one that is final. What this verse doesn't mean is that it will be quick and fiery and that they will just be annihilated. I think we'd kind of like that. I think that would be almost a little bit easier for us to deal with it if it was just uh, quick and simple. It's been a little bit easier for us to swallow if they were just annihilated and they knew nothing about it. Sadly, and harder to comprehend, and I think just more terrifying for us is that this verse is telling us that this punishment will be eternal. We know that it doesn't mean an absence of God as they will be just forever under his wrath and that this is something that he pours out. But what it means here of the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might, really that phrase there more points to an absence from the worship, the peace and the glorious presence of Christ. All aspects of relief from affliction that we've just heard about. Is the opposite of all the good that is promised for the believer. I think that the only way to view this eternal punishment rightly is as a destruction, as a, as a ruin. We would use this phrase if uh, someone we know committed a serious crime and went to prison for the rest of their days. we would say that they've ruined their life. We would say that their life is utterly destroyed where once there was freedom, now and for the rest of their days
0: is only punishment. Friends, this
1: is hard to hear. Don't miss that this terrifying judgment of God is true, is coming for those who disobey and reject God. Friends, as we conclude this Stark warning comes this morning for you. If you don't obey Jesus Christ, if you reject Him, if you reject God, you have heard clearly what you are to rightly receive. This needs serious consideration. I urge you today to repent of your sin, to follow Christ, to seek and to honor, to to seek to honor and obey Him in your life. There is, whether you like it or not, there is a final day. There is a final day coming, like running towards the edge of a cliff. You are running head on towards that cliff. We are urging you to turn back. Please turn in the opposite direction. Turn towards the cross of Christ. We've already mentioned much of what Paul reiterates there in verses 11 and 12 He promises there to always be in prayer for the Thessalonians. And it's there again that we see the correct response, the ongoing response for the Christian, when they consider Christ coming and the hope that brings. As we grow in our faith, and faithful good work should flow from this obedience. Friends, all of your life is for the glory of God, and everything in your life comes to you by the grace of God. Through all of this, God has promised that he is preparing his people for an eternity with him. And during this life, all that you do, all that you experience points to his righteous judgment. Friends, your life is a walking testimony of God's goodness. Cling to him, brothers and sisters. Remember his gospel. Know that he will guard you and keep you on that
0: marvelous day of his deliverance.